it's amazing how quickly things can change. Michael lives with his wife, Moo, in New York City. He works for HP, and his job is to visit various locations around the city and do equipment repair. So he often finds himself on public transportation. One afternoon, he was on the city bus headed to his next job. He expected it to be a routine trip, but without any warning, he found himself trying desperately to get away from a man with a knife. Here's something you need to know as you listen to Michael's story. This conversation was recorded about three years ago. We weren't able to go live with it until now because we had to wait until the case had made its way through the courts and was resolved. That has now happened. So at the end, I'll give you an update on how it turned out. Real people in unreal situations. There is a girl hanging by her broken leg from the telephone wire. And I called 911 and I said, I found a baby. I turned around. I see a gun pointed at me close enough I could touch it. She would hold our heads underwater all the time. He levels the gun, pulls the trigger, and I go down. Her eyes were full of tears. She didn't want to leave us. My hair catches on fire. I swear to God, this, is, this image is burning my head for the rest of my life. I'm Scott Johnson, and this is What Was That Like? Hey, it's Scott, and guess what? You're about to hear an ad, and that's both good and bad. It's good because ads are what make it possible for me to keep bringing you these episodes. And it's bad because, well, maybe you don't like listening to ads, and I get that. And the good news is, you don't have to. When you sign up to support the show, you get every single episode without any ads. Plus, you get all the bonus episodes. Yeah, did you know there are actually bonus episodes? And you can try it all for free just to see what it's like. If you're on an iPhone, just go to the What Was That Like podcast and at the top, click on Try Free and you're in. On Android, just go to whatwasthatlike.com slash plus and try it out completely free. Once you've had the ad-free experience, you'll see why hundreds of other listeners are already doing it. But for now, here's another ad and then on with today's episode. Living in New York City, you know, people think, wow, you must see all kinds of stuff. Have you seen attacks like this one before? Well, I got to tell you, not to this degree where, you know, these were very severe injuries inflicted. You see fights, arguments, a lot of arguments, uh, but don't generally turn into, you know, fisticuffs or, or, or worse. Generally, it's squashed by other people on the bus. Typically, most of the transportation in New York City is very crowded, subways and buses. But the COVID situation kind of makes everything a little bit different. There weren't as many people out and about. Yeah, for people listening in the future, this right now we're going, uh, it's uh, in, like halfway through 2020 and we're in the middle of a pandemic. In New York, is such a crowded place overall. Just about anywhere you go, you're in a crowd of people pretty much. But it's not quite that bad as it is usually because of the virus? Right. And this was back in May. So the very beginning of May, 
So it was at the height of the pandemic and the bad the bad numbers, right? The deaths were starting to rise and the, the curve was definitely on the rise. Um, so that did keep people at home. And yeah, it was like a ghost town downtown. Times Square was completely empty, which is a very creepy feeling <laughs> when you're used to all of the tourists and all of the people coming out for lunch from the big corporations down there. But n- nobody, I mean, literally nobody was down there. We were told to stay home if we can. But yet buses were still running. Right. Both the buses and the subways were still running on somewhat normal schedules. They shut down late at night to do cleanings, and they still do. They still are doing that. So between really late at night, like 1 to 4 a.m., they would shut down the subways to clean them. So no service was available. Is this bus route that you were on, is this, some, is this a route that you take regularly? Not to get downtown. I'm So many things were different about what happened this day. So this is just the beginning, like getting on the, getting on the bus. That is not something I would normally do because the service call that I had that day was right on the bus route, essentially, right across the street from or right across um, Columbia University. So I would just walk through the university to get to the other side of the university. And what kind of work do you do? Field service, a technician. So I, I work on office equipment, computers, printers, copiers. This day you deliberately chose, would you normally take the subway? Normally my route takes me all the way downtown. So uh, Battery Park, the financial district, that's my normal route. So I would just hop on the subway and go all the way downtown. But for this specific day, I was tasked to take care of a, a service call at Mount Sinai, uh, St. Luke's, or what some people say, Mount Sinai Morningside, because that's where it's at. So the, but the bus seemed to be a better option because it, it literally was a short walk from just across Columbia University where it drops me off. And when you're on the bus, do you normally feel safe? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a hustle and bustle usually. There's a lot of people. You're crammed in there like sardines typically. And then during this COVID thing, and I had been riding uh, subway before this incident happened. Yeah, I feel I feel like it's safe because usually there's other people around. Usually there's a sense of being able to escape if you will, like you're not too far away from a stop. You can just hop out if something bad is happening. You, you know what I mean? But that's not what happened <laughs> on that day for sure. And I'm curious as to how are you allowed to protect yourself or what, what kind of weapons are you able to carry, if any, to protect yourself against something like this? Yeah. So that's a sticky situation here in New York City. Not only the New York state laws are in the books. Obviously, you can't carry a gun unless you have a concealed weapons permit, and they don't just give those out to anybody, typically ex-law enforcement, or you're in the law enforcement now, military. You have to have a reason, basically. It's may issue the permits. I've looked into it because I come from another state, California, that has similar laws. Even though the Second Amendment protect is supposed to be something that we have as a U.S. citizen, New York pretty much puts a kibosh on all that. <laughs> so, uh, so weapons that we can carry in New York City, you're allowed to carry a non-foldable four-inch knife. However, 
because I work downtown and I go into federal buildings, I don't carry anything because they don't allow entry of any of that in those buildings. Like 26 Federal, Two Penn Plaza is Midtown. Many other buildings don't allow any weapons of any kind. And they, they actually search my bag when I go to these sites. And metal detectors as well, I'm sure. Absolutely. A lot of places, uh, the bigger places actually scan your bag like, like you're going through the airport. So I don't carry anything. Yeah, so you've got to feel a little bit vulnerable, I would think, not knowing the people around you and not having any way to, to defend yourself other than uh, if you know how to fight, I guess. I mean, yeah, I, I was in the military, so we did learn some basic skills, right? So if I had a weapon, I would definitely know how to use it. I'm range qualified for marksmanship. Uh, we we handled weapons like knives and batons and, and certain things. I was in the Air Force, but we had to learn that stuff because we went overseas. And so we did work with the military police and we had some training. So I feel confident that I could defend myself somewhat. But as we get into more details of the story, I'll tell you why that wasn't an option. Well, let's talk about that. You got on the bus and just take us through what happened that day. Yeah. So again, getting on this this bus route because it was just more convenient. <laughs> I don't know what was going through my mind if I had just gotten on the subway like I normally do. Possibly this would have never happened and probably would not have happened. So getting on this bus, it's a very short walk to get on the M100 bus. It picks me up on West 190 Street and Broadway. And I live on uh, West 190 and Bennett Avenue, which is a half of a block up the hill. You just walk up a little hill and you're at my building. So very convenient. Just hop on the bus. They're not even taking scanning your subway card or your MTA card. You essentially just hop on. So I hop on <laughs> thinking, okay, I'll, I'll take this bus down to West 125th Street. And then I'll transfer to the subway to take me to Columbia University, 116th Street. Everything was fine. Uh, I sat towards the front of the bus. There's a little partition that's protecting the driver and the disability area where they normally seat wheelchairs and strap them in. And they have this little plastic sheath and some chains blocking that area off. Um, so you can't just walk through that area. You basically have to break that whole thing apart and, and go through it. So we get to about, we just had passed, we stopped at 131st Street, West 131, and we allowed some people to come on board. Didn't notice any of them. I'm, I'm sitting in my spot getting ready because essentially my stop was pretty close. It was two stops away. 125th Street is where I was headed. I'm mentally getting ready for the call. I'm thinking, you know, what what do I need to bring in with me? Get my tools ready. Get we have a little system on the phone that we have to log everything that we do. So I'm I'm dispatching to the call. I put my phone in my pocket, and then once we started moving again uh, off of 131, I hear some yelling in the back of this bus. Now this is a tandem bus, and if you know anything about the the buses in New York City, you'll know there's two different types. You have one standard bus that holds about 30, 35 people. And then you have a tandem bus that actually is split in the middle so it can move 
and get around corners and and like those fire trucks that you see with with a driver in the back <laughs> how they kind of they swivel in the middle that's this bus so it's a really long bus it's probably about 30 feet long can you walk between those two sections on the bus yes so that that swivel point is a platform you can actually step on and and step through so that commotion was way in the back, you know, about 25 feet away. I couldn't really make out what was going on. But as soon as I pick up my head and, and look to the right towards the rear of the bus, all I see is people starting running towards me. So I'm just looking around trying to figure out what's going on. So here they come running right past me. And then I get a glimpse of the suspect for the first time behind these people not chasing them he was walking which is kind of odd in a, in a way it's just very surreal almost like a like a movie was going on <laughs> right in front of me like uh like friday the 13th or something yeah, huh? yeah it was it was like i didn't there was really no sense of anything was wrong other than they were running away from something so i th- thought maybe there was a fight back there and they were just getting away from the situation. And then I see this guy walking closer to me. There was a young lady that had passed me, was the last one that ran past me. And then there was an older lady having trouble. So I, I grabbed her and helped her get behind me. And those people were, were getting through the, the chains to get to the front of the bus. Just caught a glimpse of this guy as I was helping this woman, I caught a glimpse of him in the corner of my eye. And then I, that's the first time I saw the knife. Immediately, the fight or flight system in your body just takes control. Like you, you, you lose all mental capacity and you either are going to face this situation or you run. So I start backing up, making sure this lady gets through to the front of the bus where everybody else was congregating. And he just kept getting closer and closer as I'm trying to get her, shoo her back out of danger. How was he holding the knife? Was it in like an attack position or just carrying it or? No, it was, he was just carrying it to his, on his side, somewhat trying to obscure it. Like maybe he was trying to hide it from me. So I wouldn't see it is how I was looking at it, but I did see it eventually. This guy is well over six feet tall, probably about six, four. I'm five, nine, 150, totally average. <laughs> right. So this guy is like a linebacker. Like I'm, I'm this little kicker trying to kick a field goal. And here comes this linebacker barreling down on me a little bit more dangerous than a linebacker with this huge knife. And yeah, it's not a fair fight even without the knife. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I would maybe be able to, to get a swing in on him, but yeah, I, I would be done for either way. Um, so I'm backing up. I'm not running. I'm backing up so that I can see, I can see what he's doing. He's got a knife. I, I want to defend myself as best I can. I don't want him to stab me in the back as I'm trying to get away. Keeps getting closer and closer, and I'm getting closer to the, the chains. I'm just backing up. Everybody finally gets through the chains. and. Now I have a decision to make. He's literally like three feet away from me, almost within arm's reach. And I still have to get through the chains. What the hell am I supposed to do? 
my thought process is this is it i'm i'm done for you know he's going to do whatever he wants to me there's nothing i can do he takes the first swing with the knife and i i move and it cuts right through my my jacket i had this woven jacket on and my blue hp work shirt it cut right through the jacket which is not it's a pretty heavy jacket and cuts through my shirt luckily missed me and so i like froze for for some reason almost like shock i think that's the only way i can describe it I'm like holy shit did he actually cut me you know the next thing i know i i feel like uh he either shoves me or runs into me and basically tackled me to the ground he obviously thought maybe he cut me and was going to do something worse so he he basically throws me to the ground i hit my head on the last seat and just ripped open my head i had a pretty nasty gash on my head from that that first assault i'm on the ground trying to scoop myself through the, through the chains and the last thing that's outside of those chains is my my legs and then i see him swing the knife one more time and i tried to move and kick my leg out and it just caught the inner part of my right leg the knife went all the way in probably four inches, I'm thinking. Almost almost coming out the other side of my leg. And this is a big knife. That thing was probably at least a foot long. The blade was a foot long. The total knife was probably about 20 inches. It was almost a machete. It's not just the size of this guy. That, that knife just puts the heebie-jeebies in you, and you just don't think straight. You're just in that mode of survival. And all I could think of is if it's going to be my time, I'm going to help as many people get out. Because essentially I was following everybody going through the chains anyway. And I was stuck. You were just the last one out. Yeah, I was the last one out. Literally, I, I didn't realize what was going on until it was too late. Sometimes on a, on a, when a knife is extremely sharp, it can cut. And yet you don't feel it immediately. That is a pretty, that's well described. Uh, maybe it was because the adrenaline at that point, I got swung at once already thinking that I got stabbed. I'm laying on the ground thinking I'm bleeding already, but I'm not. And then he stabs me again. I'm sure adrenaline was kicking because I didn't feel the actual impact of the blade. I didn't feel it until he removed it. And And the weird thing is, that bleed was in me for a good five, six seconds. And he was moving it. He was going up. So it's, it's entered just above my knee in my quadricep, inner part of the leg, and he moved it up a good four or five inches. So he sticks it in and does an a, does a upward motion with it inside my leg. It sounds like... He's deliberately trying to do as much damage as possible. Exactly. Exactly. That was my thinking is he was just trying to deliberately cause some havoc. And we find out later he, he tried to, to be put down by the cops. Was not successful in that either. But yeah, just uh, the first victim, I think, got it worse. 
I mean, the first victim got stabbed in his cheek. And that was back before everybody started running. Yeah, apparently it went through his hand or part of his hand and ended up right near his nose and a gash down to his lip, um, his mouth. And everybody on the back then, back there saw that happen. They, they were privy to, to see that whole thing. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to see that. Otherwise, I would have been through those chains first because I was well ahead of everybody. <laughs> I mean, there were only eight people on that bus, including the suspect. So it was really weird that it, there would be a tandem bus at that time of day anyway. You got to be thinking, this. what is going on? I don't even know this guy. Uh, the way I was looking at it at the time was... This guy is obviously crazy. You don't know why he's doing this. You don't, I don't know why he's doing it. I don't know what his aim was to what kind of statement he was trying to make. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I feel like I got singled out just because I was the last opportunity he had, essentially. We were approaching the next stop. He's got the knife in my leg. He's moving it up in the process of doing more damage. And the bus comes to a screeching halt. Like everybody was lurched forward, including him. And that motion essentially made him take the blade out. Like he lost his balance. So he was trying to catch his balance again. So he let go of me and then decided to run out the door just to get away or try to get away. And did the bus stop because that's when the bus driver realized something was happening or was it the actual stop? Yeah. So. Right. So this is like being a really bang, bang situation where people are running towards the front. They're climbing through this chained up area. And so the, they're alerting the bus driver that this happening. Meanwhile, I'm on the ground trying to get through the, the chains and he's stabbing me. And then so right at that moment, the bus driver slams on the brakes. Who knows what would have happened if, he, if that didn't happen. I think he really did want to kill me. Something I've been recently making a deliberate effort with is to read more. There are lots of books I want to read, and I try to read every day, even if it's just a few pages. That little bit each day adds up, and it can make a big difference. It's like taking care of your gut. Even though it's not big, it supports the health of your whole body. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits not just your gut and your heart, which aren't outwardly visible, but your skin too, which you can see. Every morning it's the same thing. Two capsules of Seed DSO-1. And sometimes I wonder, is it normal to feel this great? It helps support digestive health with optimal gut bacteria levels. And thankfully that's all backed up by science. And all the supporting data is on their website. If you're trying to avoid sugar, soy, peanuts, or gluten, you're good to go. And I was reading the literature and I thought, you had me at vegan, because it's that too. And if you have kids, DSO-1 is the first multi-strain symbiotic shown to be tolerable and health-promoting in a cohort of children aged 3 to 17. And you can use this promo code to give it a try. Trust your gut with Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what. 
I don't know how many other people do this, but I like to plan my weekly meals. Maybe I'm just weird, but I like quick and easy. That's just one of the benefits you can get with Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. One of the dishes I recently had was the Green Goddess Falafel Bowl. Oh, I loved it. The falafel was seasoned perfectly, and I love how crispy it is on the outside, but really moist on the inside. It's a signature dish of Enat Admoni. She's known around the world as a chef. You've probably seen her on TV. And her dishes are made right here in Florida, so I'm supporting local business, and I love that. And the convenience of Cook Unity is crazy. I mean, I've got podcast episodes to produce. I don't have time for cooking. These meals are delivered fully cooked. So when it's time to eat, I pick a meal based on my mood for that day. I heat it for a few minutes and enjoy. The menus are updated every week, so there's always something new to try. You can choose from over 350 meals based on your dietary needs or taste preferences, or go wild and have Cook Unity pick for you, because every meal is just amazing. Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of Cook Unity. Go to cookunity.com what, or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. The bus lurches to a stop. He tries to get out of the bus, which he successfully gets out the bus. He, he goes out the side door, which is the closest exit. I hear later that he tried to hide behind some cars. Just really weird. You're not going to get away with doing something like this when there's been several people that saw you do it. They see you getting off the bus. They're tracking your movement. And he decides to hunker down behind some parked cars. I don't get that, but you know he's deranged. But luckily, there were two cops from the 6th District, I think, were on patrol nearby. And they heard the commotion and were right there. Very odd that they would be right there. but they. They essentially saw the whole thing, um, him coming off the bus. They already had the description over the the radio, I'm assuming, because they drew their guns on him. And luckily, he dropped the knife and they were able to apprehend him. At this point, I know I'm in dire straits. There was so much blood streaming down my leg, it filled up my shoe. I was trying to get up because I still didn't know if he was still on the bus, if if he was coming back because he just ran out, maybe he's running, trying to run it back in. I'm just trying to get uh, more towards the bus driver and call for help, making sure the bus driver is calling for help knew that I was there. So in the midst of trying to gather myself and get up just to assess what damage there is, I'm already bleeding out. Like my shoe is full of blood. I'm dragging my leg and there's just a trail of blood behind me. So the only thing I could really do was to remove a piece of nylon thread out of my backpack and use it as a, a tourniquet. Another thing we learned in the military. So I cinched this down on my leg as tight as I can, starting to go into shock. I'm kind of slinking down on this chair. And that's the last thing I remember before the cops come in and the paramedics start coming in. Because I wake up. And I'm in a pool of blood, and a, a police officer is, is cinching a real tourniquet on my leg. So I think I was out for about 
about 25 to 30 seconds, long enough for a little pool of blood to, to form. And you had a head wound as well. Yeah, so blood was streaming down the back of my neck. The head wounds always bleed excessively as well. Yeah, So exactly. that place must have been a bloody mess. <sighs> uh, yeah, it looked like a... Yeah, like a war zone. Like you would think that something bad happened in there for sure. Like I don't know if you ever seen the the TV show Dexter or American Horror Story. Some of those shows that show some gruesome things. It just definitely looked like that. Like something <laughs> something happened on that bus for sure. So the EMTs got there pretty quickly then. Yeah. So we weren't too far away from where the, uh, the cops were there, and there's routinely ambulances going up and down that area there was a hospital nearby and mount sinai was was just down on 114th street so we were about three quarters of a mile away from the hospital we have this app now called citizen maybe you've seen this this app essentially if something is called into the police you know this company monitors the dispatch for the sheriff and the police departments around the area so it'll alert you if something is going on in your vicinity. So you have GPS running, you have this app running, and it'll give you a push notification that something's going on in your area. So there's things happening all the time. So a lot of a lot of assault, a lot of shootings, knife, a lot of it is gang activity. And you can see little pockets of this activity, and you can definitely say that's probably gang-related. But every once in a while, you'll see one pop up out in the area where like nothing usually happens. It's mainly like a robbery or assault, something somewhat minor. Somebody's trying to rob somebody and assaults them. That's the sort of thing you usually hear about. Not somebody carrying a machete through a bus. Again, that's something you hear about from London or some of these other places that have had a problem with uh, people coming from overseas. The terrorists, the terrorists actually causing some some violence in the city. At what point were you thinking, hmm, I need to call my wife, tell her something's going on? Again, this COVID this COVID situation has really made things horrible for a, a situation like this, especially here I am in the hospital recovering. Um, this happened at around 2 p.m. I get stabbed the police and the ambulance, I get to the hospital about 2.15. So they're wheeling me through the hospital about a quarter after two. I, I looked up and I saw the clock. So literally within 15 minutes of being stabbed on the bus, I was already on a gurney on my way into emergency, the emergency room. You're not thinking this is something that's going to happen. I mean, it's... Or if it does, it's not going to happen to me. I mean, what have I done to anybody? Once I was in the grasp of the cops, putting the tourniquet on my leg, I knew, okay, things were, were started to settle down. I gained consciousness again. They put me on the, the gurney, and I'm just I'm trying to disassociate the pain. So one thing they teach you in military school basic training is to deal with pain you try to disassociate with it. So I just kept saying, that's my backpack. Don't forget my backpack. I focused on that backpack. Not only because it has everything I, that I need for doing my job, you know, there's, there's good $400 worth of tools in there, 
I said, don't forget my backpack. I just kept saying it over and over. And they're saying, okay, we got you. We got you. That, that took the edge off of the pain. Was your phone in the backpack or did you have it with you? It was in my pocket. In, in my jacket pocket was one. And then I carry a personal phone in my pants pocket. So they're putting me into this ambulance and they're, they're starting to assess my wounds. And they're like, we have to cut off your clothes. Do you, do you care about these clothes? I said, look at them. They're already, <laughs> they're already wrecked. Blood's everywhere. Um, my shoes are ruined. My, my, my clothes are all bloody. My jacket's all tore up. So I said, go ahead, cut everything off. So immediately I lose all of my communication devices. They took my clothes. They put it in a bag. I saw them do this while they're shoving IVs in me and starting to administer medicine. They're shoving everything in, in a clear plastic bag. I saw them while they were doing this. So yeah, trying to tell anybody what was going on was impossible. I, I So the after I figured out they had my backpack, I saw them put that in the bag. I kind of relaxed a little bit and just said, call my wife. That was the next thing I focused on was somebody has to know what's going on. Call my wife. And they're asking, who's your wife? I said, look in my phone. It's Mu Yang. Um, she's my wife. And then they said, okay, we got you again. That's said in New York. I got you. You know, that's just a saying in New York, but uh, apparently they didn't have me because <laughs> nobody called my wife. The The wound itself was so traumatic that I think everybody just forgot everything that was going on and was just focused on the issue the, that my leg was, I was basically bleeding out. I'm assuming had I died, they probably would have called her because that would be the first thing they're thinking about is to notify the next of kin. Uh, that's typically what they would do. But for stabbing victim, what's the protocol in the COVID-19 <laughs> era? I mean, they had all of my materials. I find out later that the protocol of the hospital, I was supposed to get my belongings as soon as I was out of recovery. That didn't happen. And I was so full of, sh they gave me fentanyl when they were cleaning out the wound. And that last thing I remember is them sticking, somebody was sticking their hand in my leg and lights went out. So if it was me passing out or the fentanyl finally kicking in, I just felt immense pain. And then the lights went out. I was given fentanyl. I was given some other pretty hard drugs, um, oxycodone in recovery just to get off the fentanyl probably they, and still give me something. They started with the oxycodone and it doesn't take much. Again, I'm only 150 pounds. <laughs> so <laughs> whatever they were giving me, it was working because I didn't feel, I didn't feel anything and find out later that there's some nerve damage in the leg, which also limited the amount of pain I was feeling all in all. I'm lucky to be alive. That was just such a nasty wound. And it, it had missed all the major arteries. That's why I'm still here talking to you. So at that point, you kind of lost consciousness or were uh, enjoying the pain medication. <laughs> and uh, you thought they were going to call your wife, but even though they didn't right away. I spoke with Moo and got a little bit of her perspective on this. Let's hear what was happening from her point of view. 
it was close to six o'clock and he was still not there. I was like, that was kind of weird. So I text him and I say, Hey, is it taking longer than normal? Try to text me back. And then I didn't think too much of it because it's not unusual for him to spend a few more hours if the job is more difficult. But he always let me know when he needs to work overtime or something. So I was like, that was a little bit weird. And by eight o'clock, and I, between six and eight, I texted multiple times via different like messaging system, of course. And I was like, that was really weird that he never replied anything. By eight o'clock, that was after dinner, I started calling him. So between eight and maybe nine thirty, I called him maybe eight times, ten times. And I, you know, like my, my anxiety started to build at the time, just, but I, I wasn't freaking out. I was like, that was kind of weird. So close to 10 o'clock, my thought process was, okay, you know what? Maybe he's cheating on me. That was, that would be great because your thought process is such that, okay, knowing him, there's only two possibilities because I'm a very rational, I'm, I'm a very logical woman. So I was like, Moo, there's two possibility. One, he's injured and in an accident. Two, he's cheating on you. So I was like, please God. And I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even a Christian or anything. So I was like, please God, please make him like, please let be that he's cheating on me and not something else. He's safe and sound physically. And, you know, if he's safe, I can accept anything. I can, I can work out anything. Yeah. So that, that's my thought, thought process was a little weird, but that's, that's what happens when people, you know, dealing with this sort of stuff. So by 10 o'clock, I was like, okay, you know what? Let me just go ahead and check my voice message, even though I never do. And there was a chirpy nurse. And it goes, Hi, my name is Michelle. I'm a nurse in Mount Sinai, Morningside. I'm taking care of your husband. He's out of surgery. He said he will contact you later. Bye. I'm like, wow, what a what a cheerful way to deliver such a message without any 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 information. So I immediately called the the hospital, and they said, well, ma'am, we couldn't give you any further information because he. I'm like. I work at a medical center. I had to take HIPAA training every single year. I know what it is. I know what it says. It doesn't apply to spouses. If you can verify my information, which we can easily do, you should be able to, you know, because you already told me that he's out of surgery. You already told me what happened to Michael Jones. So all I need to know is exactly what happened. And if he's okay, it's okay if you guys don't want to tell me any details. So no, 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 we cannot, you know, do this um, back and forth. And I said, how about if I show up with my ID and then you can tell me what happens? And they said, no, because of COVID situation, we do not allow any visitors. I was like, okay, you told me he's in the hospital, but you refuse to tell me anything. Not even okay, not okay. I keep calling the nurse every 15 minutes. So by the six or seven calls, the nurse got so fed up with me. 
they finally somebody I don't know I don't know which one they finally gave me a number. He said, "Okay, call this number." I don't know what that number is. And when I call, when I pick it up, and when I call the number, turns out to be the vascular surgeon's number. The guy sounded kind of annoyed at the beginning. He said, "Um, how did you get this number? Who are you?" Because it's his personal cell phone. So even though the nurse couldn't tell me anything about Michael, they somehow gave me the surgeon's private cell phone, which they're not supposed to either. But anyway, luckily, this surgeon was very, very like understanding and very nice. He told me what from what he understood what had happened. And he told me Michael's conditions, you know, that he dealt with the pain very well. He was he had a brave face on and he handled the stress very well. And then he said he personally looked into the wound. He assured me that there's no major artery damage. And then he said, you know, the 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 surgery went well. So that's that's what I really wanted to hear. The next clock that I could see was right in front of me. 10 15 p.m. Eight hours between the time I was wheeled into the emergency room and then the last thing I heard the the surgeon say was we need to get him up into the trauma surgeon surgery immediately. I was in the recover the surgery recovery room when I woke up. And what was the assessment of your injuries? In recovery, I'm asking all kinds of questions. I had some medical training because both of my parents were nurses, RNs. I had read all of their literature. I had wanted to become a doctor, but chose to go into the military instead. One being that I would have to be, I would have to stay at home and then go to school. That wasn't the my first option that I wanted, so I, I enlisted instead. But waking up in that in that recovery room, I started asking what what's going on, what's happened. They told me about the stabbing, about what they did to the leg. They cleaned it out. There's 55 total stitches that were put in, some on the inside to repair the muscle damage. It essentially filleted my quadricep muscle. So if you've ever had like a steak and they butterfly it, essentially that's what that knife did to my quadricep muscle. It basically butterflied my quadricep. They had to stitch that all back together, clean the wound, and then stitch up the skin on the outside. So it's just a nasty looking wound. I've had some pretty nasty falls and broken some bones. Um, had some issues in the Air Force where I almost lost a finger, my thumb on my left hand. So I'm no, I'm no stranger to pain and being in a hospital. So I'm asking all these questions and they're telling me, okay, yeah, they cleaned it out. They sutured. They left the sutures a little bit loose because of the the way that this muscle was going to start healing and the, the skin. If they put it too tight, it would cause some problems. So every time I move, tried to move the leg, you could feel things. You could feel the stitches moving. It's painful, one, but it's such a weird feeling to feel. Like, it's like you're being poked by a needle and it's being moved in and out. And there's, you know, there's... 20, 20 or so, so stitches, so there's like 40 of those needle feelings down the leg. I totally lost feeling on the whole left side of my leg from 
right below the groin area down to the bottom part of my knee. I couldn't feel it at all. It was numb. So obviously, nerve damage. That whole night, I haven't talked to her. So it's ten. It's literally ten fifteen. I'm starting to come off the meds. So I did get a private room. And it's about right around midnight. They bring a phone in and say, your wife's trying to call you. I got to talk to him. He sounded very tired, but it was just like very reassuring to hear his voices. And I, you know, it just, you know, he told me what had happened and he was tired. And so I, we didn't talk for very long because he was obviously exhausted from everything. So I let him go just after a few minutes. So the night was like, it was really, really hard to sleep. Of course, I couldn't go to sleep. And then so finally I, I moved over to his side of the bed and I slept on his pillow. And that's how I had a few hours of sleep. I'm usually back home by five, five or 6 PM, or at least say something like, okay, I'm on my way home. But because of the COVID situation, because of the HIPAA laws, they weren't able to divulge any information. Even though she's my wife, how are you going to prove that? And then she's not allowed to come into the hospital because of the COVID situation. So it was just a big mess. What do you know about the man who attacked you? Hadn't seen him before. Didn't know. Didn't even see him come on the bus. He wasn't there when I got on. But as people were getting on, as we progressed through the bus stops, he must have gotten on. Who knows? You found out a little bit about him and his history. Yeah. So uh, my wife is the investigator of the family. She, <laughs> you don't want to be put in a bad situation. And my wife gets word of it because she'll find everything out about it. So what did she find out? Just the, that this person had been previously incarcerated for f- up to 15 years in a federal prison. Previous assaults. He had just gotten out of a relationship with his wife. They had a child together. So he wasn't dealing with that with that separation. I think that was part of the anxiety that precipitated this attack, possibly. He was unemployed, drug addict. Not on the right track, for sure. And with all those things going on, that's not someone you want to encounter. Yeah, I mean, from what it sounds like, he was trying to do the death by cop. So I would assume he's carrying that knife because he wants to have an altercation with the police. How he ends up stabbing the two of us, that's what I'm still questioning. Well, you know, when mental illness is involved, though, the logic doesn't really play a part, Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, especially if he's like schizophrenic, he's hearing voices. That's possibly one aspect of this. That's, that's what he claimed to his sister. After the, if, after the fact that he was hearing voices. And I should mention, I did contact his sister to possibly comment as part of this episode, and she declined. One thing I found interesting is that from the criminal charges, your attack was assault, and the other man's attack was attempted murder. Do you know why that was? How, how they differentiate that? Apparently, it's the way of the injury. And then the intent of the injury. So he was 
and I got a description. We ended up in the same trauma area of the hospital. So I was asking the the other guy again, trying to deflect my pain. I was talking to the other victim and asking him what happened. He said the guy was trying to cut my neck. So he was swinging. He was trying to insert the knife in his neck and he did one of these, like put his head down, put his hand up. It goes through a piece of his hand and into his face. So the hand deflected it away from the neck and that's how he got stabbed in the face. That makes sense then as far as the, the legal charges then. I mean, if you're going to, with a knife to somebody's neck, that's obviously attempted murder. Anything, anything from the shoulders up. But in your case, if even in your leg, if it would have cut an artery, yeah, I would have been done. There wouldn't, yeah, you're you're out. Thirty thirty seconds, I would have bled mm-hmm. out for sure. Would you be nervous about riding the bus again? I I am if it's empty. I definitely scope out who's getting on the bus and who's on the bus. But interestingly enough, I'm using a cane now. So guess what I get to do? I get to get in the front of the bus behind that partition with the chains and everything. And I'm right by the driver. There's no safer place to be on that bus than where I get to sit now. And you have a a long stick in your hand. Exactly. (laughs) So I do have a weapon now. I mean, this is just so ridiculous. Some of these laws... I ended up talking to the New York Post was the first journalist that had contacted me. Somehow they got my phone number. Maybe Moo gave it to them or somebody ended up, they got my phone number possibly from work. They knew that I worked for HP. Obviously I was wearing the shirt and they got pictures of me in my shirt. So in any case, the it was kind of weird. The detectives come and see me about 12 or 12.30, right, the, right around the time that Moo was trying to call me these detectives show up and start questioning me. So I get through that questioning. They give me their business card and tell me, you know, if there's anything else, blah, 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 let us know. And then right after they left, the New York post calls me for comment. So there's, there's a couple of articles out there. The daily news contacted me as well. And then ABC picked up the story. And so there's a short video, ABC seven, shot some video of the bus, the aftermath, if you will. The um, It was the New York Daily News was actually on scene shortly after it happened. and I mean, they must have reporters roaming. Well, the their photographer, Greg Mango, I spoke with him, and he graciously allowed us to show his photo of the actual weapon. So we'll have a picture of that on the website and the show notes for this episode. People that want to see it, it is... How do you get a load of that? That's uh, and then where you see that blood on the knife. That's essentially how far it went into my leg. There's a demarcation of blood on that blade, and you see it in the picture. So it's it's a good at least four inches. I'm glad you survived. I know you're still recovering. Thanks for sharing your story. Thanks for having me on, Scott. I want to give a big thanks to my friend Megan for connecting me with Michael and Moo. That's often how I hear about these things. Someone knows someone who went through something. So please keep your eyes and ears open for me because I'm always looking for new stories. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we recorded this and then we had to wait. I would check the court website every month or two just to see the status And every time, there would be a new date and the next court appearance like two or three months later. 
This went on for about three years after the attack. Finally, the case was closed because it ended in a plea deal. The Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg Jr., announced on November 9, 2023, that the perpetrator, 49-year-old Willie Gomez, was sentenced to 14 years in state prison. Even though there were two victims, his conviction was for one count of assault in the first degree, which is a Class B felony. So it's 14 years in state prison, then five years of post-release supervision. Personally, I think he got off pretty easy for such a vicious and random attack. You can see pictures of Michael and Moo and get a full transcript of this episode at whatwasthatlike.com slash 163. Before we wrap up, I wanted to talk for just a minute about how you can submit a story for the podcast. You know, I get people sending me emails or Instagram DMs or Facebook messages with their story ideas. But really, the best way to do this is through the website. If you go to whatwasthatlike.com and click on Your Story, it'll take you to a page with the full instructions. The mistake that a lot of people make when sending in their story is they say, I'll try to make this brief. In this situation, being brief is not a good thing. What I really, really want is to see a detailed story of what happened. When I read something like that, even though it takes longer to read, it means I can get a much clearer picture of how well that story will work as an episode. The downside of a really detailed story is that it's more work for you. You might write out that long story and it still might not work as an episode of the podcast. But including all the details is one way to improve your chances. And in some cases, even though it might not be a good fit as a full episode, a lot of them work as listener stories, and I need those too. If there's any way I can use your story for the podcast, I want to do it. Graphics for this episode were created by Bob Bretz. Full episode transcription was created by James Lye. And here we are again at the end of the episode, and we're about to hear this week's listener story. These are five to ten minute stories sent in by a listener, just like you. We end every episode this way, so if you have something interesting, just record it on your phone and email it to me. This week's story is about a mishap while on vacation. Stay safe, and I'll see you back here in one week with our next flashback episode. See you then. Hi, Scott. First, I want to tell you how much I enjoy your podcast. Thank you for all your hard work in putting all of these episodes together. My name is Brenda, and I'd like to share a listener's story that happened to me many years ago. This was in the late 1980s and became a bit of a family story heirloom. My husband and I decided to take our kids to Disneyland for summer vacation prior to school starting. We drove from Washington State to the Bay Area in California, where my sister and her husband were living. They had just purchased a brand new travel trailer, and along with their daughter and her two small children, joined us in our trip down to Disneyland. My sister and her family were in a large van pulling the trailer, and my family and I were in a separate vehicle following behind. 
Several miles down the freeway from their house, my brother-in-law pulled over on the side of the road. Not knowing what was going on, I got out of our car to find out what was happening. My brother-in-law said my sister couldn't find her purse and thought she may have left it in the trailer. I followed him inside, and while he was looking around the front part, I went to the back of the trailer to the bedroom and looked in cupboards and closets for the purse. All of a sudden, I heard the trailer door shut and the lock turn with a click. Before I could get to the trailer door or call out, the trailer started to move and pulled out onto the freeway. I ran to the back of the trailer to the back window to signal to my husband that I was a trapped passenger in a moving trailer. But to my dismay, the back window had an outside cover pulled up for travel. This was, of course, all well before cell phones, so I was literally trapped with no way to communicate with anybody. It was very warm in the trailer, and in the middle of California, and in August, I was feeling helpless. I started to panic a little, trying to calm myself down. I couldn't help but see the humor in the situation and decided the only thing I could do was ride it out till the next stop. Not too many miles down the road, I felt the trailer start to slow down and pull over again. I was laughing hysterically as I met my brother-in-law at the trailer door, mostly from relief, but also just from the ridiculous situation. Come to find out, my family thought I had decided to ride in the van with my sister's family without informing them, but then decided that would have been a rude and out-of-character thing for me to do, so finally pulled up alongside of their van signaling, Where's Brenda? My sweet brother-in-law, after finding the purse, somehow had figured I had slipped out of the trailer ahead of him and had gone back to my car. He finally put two and two together and pulled over right away. Everyone was relieved that I came out laughing instead of spitting mad or upset, and we all chuckle every time we retell the story. I'm sure we all had a great time at Disneyland that year, but this story kind of overshadows it in my mind. Thanks for listening.